Well, good evening and welcome to another episode of Take the Tuna. Certainly round 20, some big scores, plenty of upsets and certainly the logjam for the, the final two spots in the eight continues. The Knights and the Titans are grabbing wins uh, to solidify their hopes. Obviously, the Raiders and the Sharks losing to, you know, make uh, things more difficult for them. But certainly still plenty to play for. And one of those teams is right in the thick of it again. To start off round 21, it's the Newcastle Knights and the Brisbane Broncos. And I guess on paper, this one is a formality in a way, guys. Obviously, the Knights are the team with everything to lose, essentially. Uh, obviously, still being in the in the hunt for one of those two final spots in the eight. They did look a lot better, particularly with Kalen Ponga uh, not struggling with that niggle that he had last week. Mitchell Pearce comes back as well, which is... I mean, I think this is the, only the... What the third, the first time since round three or something, even last year, that I think. Well, I mean, there's no Jaden Braley, but when Braley comes back, I think yeah, it'll be only the third time in almost two seasons that their full strength spine has actually played together, which is remarkable. But certainly, yeah, the the Knights you'd think you'd think in this one have to be going in as the overwhelming favourites. Yeah, you would, you know, purely for what they're playing for. I think by no means were Broncos bad last week. They had a great win against the Cowboys, and they were very impressive in that win. And they were also impressive um, the week before as well against Penrith. So I think that they're definitely not the easy beats that they may have been earlier on in the season. But if you look at what the position that Newcastle have gotten themselves in now, they have quite an easy run home, and it's just a very good opportunity for them to cement a place in the top eight. Um, when a lot of their contenders have much more difficult runs home. So this is a game that they'd definitely be, um, look like, you know, wanting to check off their list as a very winnable game. Um, they were very impressive last week as well. They kind of came back to form a little bit after a, a terrible loss against the Roosters the, the week before. Um, I think the um, injection of Rudman Best was quite huge, which we all kind of saw coming, but he was just excellent. Um, the way he kind of transformed their attack a little bit. And he's a nice big body as well. So he was excellent. And I think they're going to just go from strength to strength now with Pierce back as well to make him more of a complete team than what we've seen from them this year. Yeah, 100% you'd think that if they're going to make that finals run that we're all expecting, then it has to continue this week against a, a pretty weak Brisbane lineup. As you mentioned there, now it was that left edge that did all the damage against Canberra. Uh, we saw a number of times earlier on in the game where they just went down that left-hand side and, uh, Kevin Ponga was instrumental in setting up either Best or on his outside Talala, who grabbed a hat-trick as well. So uh, you'd have to think that against a pretty frail Brisbane defence, they're going to go down the same route this weekend. Yeah, it's definitely been interesting one. I mean, as, as, as Nat said, I don't think the Broncos have certainly, you know, been bad by any means. Obviously, you know, that only losing to the Panthers by what was a small amount, considering many thought that they'd get flogged. Good win last week against the Cowboys, obviously, you know, big reason that was Katoni Stagg, so obviously is injured enough for the season now. And I guess if I'm a Broncos fan, or even if I'm not from from the outside looking in, I'm I'm amazed that Xavier Coates is still somehow on the sidelines. I mean, if if he's fit, surely we've see, you've seen enough from Xavier Coates to know what a potential superstar he he could be. And I guess playing someone like Jesse Arthur's, who no disrespect, you're playing the NRL. Tremendous job, but I think when you compare the certainly the two side by side, what they're capable of. I mean, not ten times out of ten, you'd have to pick Arthur. Uh, sorry, you'd have to pick uh, Xavier Coach, surely. But Kevin Walters, 
I don't I don't know if with with that pending move to Melbourne just does not seem to want to pick Xavier Coates. Yeah, look, it comes across as quite petty, and it's not the first time we've seen this. I remember when um, Tonga was playing for the Cowboys and really started to come out of his shell. Um, they didn't play him the whole year when he signed with Newcastle, or they they gave him very limited game time. And I think, I guess, it comes down to the clubs wanting to give players um, a run that are going to be there the year after. But I don't really get it with Coates. I, I didn't see a drop in form, you know, resulting from his signing with Melbourne. I think he's a really good player, and I think it's a shame that he's not getting this opportunity. Um, but, yeah, I guess it's probably just coming down to Brisbane wanting to give the best experience to the players that are going to be there next year for them. But it does seem a little petty. Yes, it's uh, definitely a, a waving of the white flag from Kevy Walters uh, to say that he's given up on this season. Uh, they're really going to need Xavier Coates there if they want to win these games, obviously coming up against such a strong uh, attacking unit in the Newcastle Knights. They're really going to need to pull out all the X factors that they've got. And uh, by not uh, playing Coates, it's a real demonstration that they're looking forward to next season, as you mentioned there, Nat. And uh, they're really pr- trying to invest some time into Jesse Arthurs. Obviously, they've got Katoni Staggs now on the sidelines, which is a huge blow. Uh, you probably thought that he was the one guy that could have troubled this nice defence, but without him, you have to think pretty uh, pretty simple result for Newcastle. Yeah, certainly an interesting decision by Kevin Walters, and I guess there's always plenty of interesting decisions out St George Illawarra Dragons way. Obviously, the majority of their players have now served this one week COVID suspension for the the barbecue at, at Paul Vaughan's place. Coming up against the Raiders side, who much like several others are in that logjam. You know, to, for, for sides to make the top eight to finish seventh and eighth, lost last week to the Knights, who obviously uh, we were just talking about. And I guess much like the season is on the line for the Knights, it's very much a similar, uh, you know, train of thought for the Canberra Raiders. Obviously, you know, these are the sorts of games that you need to be winning, particularly that the Dragons are without their best attacking weapon in Ben Hunt, fractured his hand, and much like he did in uh, origin of, you know, played on with the injury. And it was only after the game that everyone realized he was actually carrying one. And it, it's there. I mean, the return of Zach Lomax helps the dragons, his first game in geez, like 10 weeks or whatever it is, but much like the Knights, as I said, with, you know, Canberra has everything to play for. This is a game you'd expect them to be winning. Yeah, look, absolutely. Both sides, both of these sides were very disappointing last week. I mean, I think Dragons may as well have kissed their season goodbye with the barbecue. It kind of just went downhill from there. And, you know, it was just an indication of where their heads are at. And I don't think they're 100% dedicated to that team and to, you know, to making that finals run that I'm I'm sure their fans would have liked to have seen from them. As for the Raiders, this lack of consistency is just, it's it's difficult because one one round you're seeing this fantastic team that you're thinking, well, if they make the eight, they could actually give it a shake. And then the next week, the wheels just fall right off me. Had a very disappointing loss last week. Um, so, you know, it, it really could go either way. I, I would I would imagine that the Raiders would come back after that disappointing loss last week. But we've also seen the Raiders kind of string a few losses together this this year as well um, and kind of drop into that habit. So, I mean, it could go either way, but I would expect that the Raiders would, would find something and, and come through, given the fact they're still really in that finals contention. Yeah, 100%. It's going to be a really important game for Ricky Stewart's men to come out and put up a good performance against this weekend Dragons lineup. And to me, I'm a little bit puzzled by some of his choices in the forward pack this week. It's going to be so important that they really roll through the middle of the field and then set up in good attacking positions for guys like Jack White and Sam Williams on some uh, some strong attacking plays. But they've elected to put Emre Gula back to the bench this week alongside Corey Howard and Naira. Both of those guys I thought were, were fairly strong over the past couple of weeks. Obviously, uh, Howard and Naira didn't have the best game 
against Newcastle, but he was probably the Raiders' best in the three mm. weeks uh, prior to that. Uh, and Emre Gula scored himself a try on the weekend right at the end of the game. And I thought he was providing some really good uh, go forward through the middle of the field. So a little bit confusing to see why they'd make that change. I thought they maybe would keep Joe Tarpany in the 13, Gula uh, there in the 10, and then have uh, either Hudson Young or potentially Elliot Whitehead rotating off the bench. Yes, Ricky Stewart loves a good mind game, Tom. You know that. He can't yeah, uh, yeah. he can't help himself when it comes to chopping and changing. But, no, look, it is interesting. I, mean, I think, I mean, particularly on Hiro Naira, I mean, obviously his his history has been well documented and, and the incidents, but pretty much since that traffic incident early this year, had to fight his way back into the side. I think even in those games where Canberra was struggling, when, when it just seemed like they couldn't win a game, they couldn't attack to save their life, you know, obviously – dating back, what, from pretty much round three-ish to about round 13, 14, 15, he was probably still one of their best players. I mean, he is, his work ethic is tremendous. He's, you know, certainly not afraid to put his body on the line in, you know, against, I guess, even bigger forwards than him in the middle. But, you know, to, to drop him to the bench after, you know, one poor game in quite a long time is a bit of a surprise. But, you know... As I said, Ricky Stewart loves to just throw a curveball out there, and I guess we see if it pays off for him this week. Yeah, look, it doesn't make sense to me. I think I, I don't agree with the approach of, you know, if someone's been one of your best players for, you know, five weeks straight, are you really going to drop them after having one poor game? But, you know, I guess we're not seeing everything that's going on there. You never know, you know, other things might be behind it, and we never really know how Ricky's thinking, so I think that's always going to be something that might perplex us for years to come. Yeah, it certainly will, but... Uh... I guess it's, you know we wait to see if it pays off and if it does Ricky Stewart's a genius if not then, <laughs> then yeah, exactly then there'll be plenty of criticism his way if it doesn't pan out and certainly two teams that have seen both praise and criticism over the course of the year doing battle on Friday night at down at Seabus Super Stadium both sides still obviously well in contention for you know to finish in in the top four it's obviously the Parramatta Eels and the South Sydney Rabbitohs and you know, we speak a lot about the Rabbitohs and how, you know, how well they're playing that left edge, suspect defence. And, and, and it's, you know, I guess for the Bunnies, it's always as good as their attack is. The question mark is always over their defence. And even though they did, or at least I thought, even though they put the bunny, uh, the Bunnies, they put the Dragons to the sword after about 30 minutes, you still get the feeling that Souths are a side that if a team can score a couple of points against them, that their heads might go down because we know that their defence, particularly against the better sides, obviously, you know, Melbourne and uh, Penrith have both walloped them this year. So this is this is probably another test for the Bunnies to show that they can match it with the top sides and not concede, you know, 30, 40, 50 points in the process. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I'm really looking forward to this game because I think, you know, the fact that obviously um, the Rabbitohs have been on a bit of a run lately. They've had a They've strung a few good games together on the weekend. They were quite impressive, although leaking a few points. The fact that uh, Parramatta have come off two really disappointing losses is probably a, works in their favour almost because, you know, they, they'll they know what they need to work on. They've got Mitchell Moses. It looks like he's coming back. He's been named. So, look, hopefully he's back in the side. And, you know, it might um, just give them a little bit extra motivation to really come through this week and, and kind of silence the people that are starting to say, 
you know, are Parramatta going to be up there? Are they even going to be in the four? You know, you're seeing lots of people saying that sort of thing lately. So I think it's going to be an opportunity for them to come through and make a statement and just say, hey, guys, we're still here. And, you know, we've got Moses back and our attack's going to flow a little bit more. But, yeah, I do think last week Parramatta's game, you know, I don't think anyone really saw that coming. I thought we'd have probably a closer game than that. Um, and it was a winnable game for them as well. So it was quite disappointing to see them perform as badly as they did last week. So, um I have this strange feeling that Parramatta might get up in this game, but I'm really looking forward to it because it should be a quite an even contest. Yeah, it's going to be a really interesting game to watch because I think that the result of this game will demonstrate where both of these sides are at. Obviously, the South Sydney Rabbitohs have been in an absolute role, especially with their attack over the last few weeks. Uh, it was really flowing in that second half against the Dragons on uh, Sunday evening. And to be honest, it doesn't look like many teams, apart from maybe the Penrith Panthers and Melbourne Storm, can stop this South Sydney side when they're in rhythm. and uh, that left edge attack, Latrell Mitchell, was outstanding. Uh, just to go through some of his stats, obviously he had the two tries. Uh, he had 15 tackle busts, three line breaks. He was absolutely electric. Uh, you combine him with Cody Walker. Keon Kowal-Matungi's been strong. They've got Jay Arrow providing some good go-forward through the middle of the field. Uh, he picked up a try as well. I think that Parramatta are really going to have to step up this game, and uh, especially in their defence, and really demonstrate what why they are a top-four side. And I think that if they fall apart early in the game, I think that South Sydney with that momentum could just run away. But if Parramatta can really hold them to a tight contest, uh, it's not something we've seen South Sydney being able to pull out time and time again this season is winning those real close games. They haven't had a lot of experience in those tight affairs. So they get some game time up against some of the better teams in the competition moving forward. Yeah, all I can say is thank goodness Mitchell Moses is back. <laughs> I mean, this, this attack the last couple of weeks or, or since Origin, basically, for the Eels has just been, oh, I mean, I, I, mean I've, I want to be as blunt as possible. It, it's been insipid. It's just, you know, it's there's been nothing there. And, you know, you, you obviously you expect that the halves that come in are able to do their job. Even Dylan Brown, who is not, you know, a seasoned veteran, but certainly these last couple of weeks, he's been disappointing. And, you know, we know what he's capable of. I mean, if it, prior to these two games where Moses has been out, I thought Dylan Brown has actually looked pretty good since he came back from that suspension for the the ribs in the 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 knee to Drew Hutchison quite a few weeks ago. But the last two weeks, when he had a chance to really put the foot down and you know guide this side to, I mean, not even not even a win necessarily, but just to get on the board and put yourselves in a position to win, didn't do that and. You know, it, it's disappointing. And, you know, obviously Moses is back. I think, unfortunately, the loss of Campbell Gillard offsets the return of Moses to some extent. I mean, Campbell Gillard has has easily been the Eels' best forward across the season. And even on form, is probably in the top five props in the game at the moment. So I think the onus rests on Junior Paulo, who has been quiet, I think, by his standards compared to last year in particular. So I think if, if the Eels can match it in the middle, with Souths, and Souths middle has looked pretty good in, in recent times as well. That's probably where the game is going to be partially won, obviously. You know, defence is going to be the key as well. But, yeah, I'm just looking forward to an Eels, an Eels attack that can actually put the defensive line under pressure. Look, Ricky, no one understands more than I do um, <laughs> the way you attacked it. You're just thinking, what is this team? What am I watching? Um, and, and I have to admit, you know, I, I obviously we all know that Mitchell Moses is a, is, a, is a good player. But if you'd asked me before all this, who was the Eagles' most influential player, I probably would have gone with Reid Marnie. Um, but I think this has just really shown how important he is to that team and how much he lifts the players around him to make them play better as well. 
Um, so I think if anything, his stocks have gone up while sitting on the sideline, um, but it'll definitely make it much more of an even contest and hopefully a much nicer game to watch for everybody with a little bit more rhythm in attack with Moses back. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, Jake Arthur filling in there. He did a solid job in his first few games, so I think he just struggled to really control the side. I probably think he's maybe more of a 5'8 who works best alongside a, a guy like Moses who can really steer the side around and Arthur can just play that eyes up uh, instinctive footy, but I think Mitch Moses will really bring the best out of some of the guys on his outside as well. I think that he's going to get quality service to guys like Ryan Madison, and then on Madison's outside, whether it's Wonga Blake and Blake Ferguson or Sevo and Opchik, depending on which side they decide to play uh, Madison. I think that getting those guys more involved is going to be crucial because I think we've seen over the last couple of weeks that uh, the Eels have been content with going straight through the middle, but against sides like uh, South Sydney, Melbourne, Penrith, you've got to attack on the edge. Well, I guess the, the bonus for the Eels is they certainly have two attacking back rowers that, you know, can get the job done for you. So it's going to be a test for them against uh, against this bunny side. And, you know, the, uh, I guess moving on to our Saturday games, obviously, have the New Zealand Warriors and the Cronulla Sharks, obviously. Cronulla had some good moments, had some bad moments, I think, in the end. They, they just couldn't stop the Tom Trebojevic onslaught. And I actually found it interesting is when... When, to- uh, when Toby Rudolph was sin-binned, you would have thought that the Sharks were going to capitulate even further, concede more points. I mean, they didn't concede any more points after after the 58th minute. They scored two times with a man in the sin-bin and didn't concede at all when... Oh, sorry, but yet couldn't score at all when Paseca went in the sin-bin. So it was, a, it was just a really strange game in that sense, I thought. Typically, with an extra man, you know, you expect a, an opposition to certainly get the upper hand but it seems like they couldn't do that and you know it, it's a big test for the sharks i mean they i guess they've fallen slightly down that log jam but they're not out of the hunt just yet seeing i mean realistically any team think down to 14th can still make it if results you know go their way so the sharks need to keep winning and equally so do the warriors time i mean we'll touch more on the on on the tigers side of things unfortunately uh when when we get down to uh, your clash shortly, but I think the Warriors, considering that they were missing their two best forwards in Matt Lodge and Adam Fanua Blake, they really worked hard to try and get to, to get that win. And I guess in the end, their persistence paid off. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, the Tigers really struggled in that second half and pretty much capitulated as the the whole side fell apart. Obviously, they came in with a really strong plan to try and attack the edges of the Warriors, and it worked early on. And Unfortunately, they just didn't go back to it in the second half and the Warriors were able to get them into a bit of a grind. It was a very sloppy game. Uh, neither side really got much of an advantage in the second half and then mistakes just crippled the Tigers. Moving forward, obviously, Ewan Aiken had a, a blinder with two tries there in the second row. He was gifted one off that dropout in the second half, but I thought he had a really good game there and, and they've decided to keep him there this week, which is great to see some continuity in the roster for uh, Nathan Brown and his side. They get Adam Fanua Blake back this week after that gruesome finger injury he suffered uh, only two weeks ago. Bit of a shock to see him back so early after that compound dislocation. So uh, luckily he avoided a fracture there, which is good for his recovery time. And it's going to be crucial that they get back Fanua Blake and Matt Lodge against the Shark side, uh, who we know are going to want to go through the middle with Toby Rudolph and Aaron Woods. Obviously with no Sean Johnson there uh, after his injury a couple of weeks ago, they're really going to look to batter them through the middle and then uh, put on some sharp attacking plays. We know Cronulla will have a block play about 10, 15 metres out from the line and really use their width uh, close to the line and then really go through the middle, through that middle third of the field. 
Yeah, look, I thought Prunella um, were probably better than I expected them to be. Um, you know, obviously a lot of that came from that 10-minute period in which Turbo went off and it all kind of went haywire. But, um, you know, in the first half especially, they kept that grind up and then they kind of just lost it in the second half. So I think that Cronulla, they're still in they're still in this in terms of the, the top eight race. Um, and, and I think that they'll be looking to, to yeah, a game like this, you know, where the Warriors, whilst they're still in, in the hunt, you know, you'd, you'd probably say that they're up against it considering, you know, RTS is no longer there and, and they've just had so many injuries and, and, you know, naturally as well from a mental side of things, they've been away from their home for such a long time. You know, there is an element of them probably just thinking to themselves, can this just can this just end? So, you know, I think that this is probably a game that's very winnable for Canola, and I, I expect that to happen. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's certainly a very even contest, and I'm actually surprised to see how Chanel Harris-Tavito is going to go in his return from a pec injury. Obviously, you know, there's been plenty of raps on him in the past, and he's certainly shown glimpses. He's, he's you know, certainly got a strong kicking game, which I guess you could probably say the Warriors have lacked a little bit this year in, 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 I guess, being able to put an opposition on the back foot, much like, you know, the, the best kickers in the game are able to find the turf, if not the sideline, you know, trap an opposition five, 10 minutes out from their own line and then muscle up in defence. So, you know, Harris Tavita is certainly someone that is capable of that. Obviously, it's his first game back after several months from the, from his, his pec injury, but I think if the Warriors can do that, certainly going to go a long way to getting them the victory uh, over the Cronulla Sharks side. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Nat, 5.30 Saturday night, Saroosas and the Panthers, obviously, you know, we got, you know, just one of probably three, you know, blockbuster games this week. I mean, but, but before we go on to, I guess, you know, the Roosters side of things now, I want to ask you, because it's, it's social media has sort of been, I guess, rife with, you know, ifs and what ifs and, and questions and whatnot. Um, or firstly, Coach Capewell and the Senators as a Pen- as a Penrith fan. I guess we know how you feel about that one already. But yeah. the second one I want to put to you, I mean, again, only because social media has been, I guess, absolutely lambasting him as a result. Charlie Staines. I mean, we know he's 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 got the speed. That's why he's got the nickname, the Forbes Ferrari. He's certainly shown that he's a capable finisher. But do you get the feeling that we need to see more from him? I mean, I think last week he had. 15 metres from four runs, I think, you know, and a lot of those runs as well, it just seemed like he was carried back so easily and actually lost yardage rather than gaining it. Is that something that you you want to see more of from Charlie Staines in terms of, I guess, set not not, not so much setting the tone, but trying to emulate what Brian Toll can do and just getting, at least getting over the advantage line to put yourself in as good a field position as possible? Yeah, you know, it was crazy how much last week I noticed, the lo- like, not having Brian. You know, obviously, Nathan Cleary is a huge out, and we had quite a number of outs last week. But Brian, oh, it's just crazy. The work he does, you don't even realise it's happening and, and until it's all done. Um, yeah, I'm quite disappointed in Charlie because he's beginning to look a little bit like a player who may be a beneficiary of good players around him but doesn't have that spark on his own. Um, and, you know, that's disappointing to see because he had a, such a great few games last week, last year, and, and he just kind of hasn't really... Um, discovered that form this year so you know I guess you know as he as he keeps playing and maybe the the more games he plays without the great players around him maybe the better it is for him to form his own kind of game and and work on getting those meters for us Um, because it was disappointing last week to see that and um, you know um, it's it's just I'm sure he's disappointed himself as well but it's not um, I'm not thrilled with him at the moment in our team but you know I I guess hopefully he just gets better as, as his career goes on. 
Yeah, obviously it's an interesting one. I think that you've got to draw comparisons. and It's unfortunate these comparisons are drawn, but that's just the nature of what's happened with his explosive start to his career. But I think I draw the comparison between Charlie Staines and a guy like Josh Adokar at Melbourne, both pure speedsters, uh, great wingers in their own right. But you see Josh Adokar, he's not afraid to get in there and take those dirty carries. Even in origin, we see it. And he's so strong. Obviously, Charlie Staines still such a young guy, um, still really developing as a player. But what we're going to need to see from Charlie Staines is uh, him develop that strength that he's able to get in there and drive his side out of uh, the att- out of the defensive end. Sorry, And I think that that's going to be the next stage to his develop. We all know that he can score in the corner. We all know he's got some good finishing moves, but uh, it's not much use if you can't get the side into a position where they can really put on some good attacking plays that you're able to then finish off. For me, I'm really interested this week to watch Tavita Pangai Jr. off the bench, obviously uh, getting his debut in this Panthers squad as he's on this eight-week loan period. Uh, at Penrith before he goes up to the Bulldogs next season. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how he plays. Dale Copley signed uh, a short-term deal at the Roosters as well to cover some of their injuries uh, in the back line. Joey Manu was exceptional last week. I think he broke the uh, Quinn Gustin's record for running metres in a game. Uh, NRL.com credits him with 331. He had something like 25 runs off the wing. He moves back to his preferred uh, centre position, but things can be really critical in a very similar vein to what we were just speaking about with getting the tough runs out of your own end. I think we need to see Joey Manu stay involved even at centre, uh, still be taking up in upwards of 15, 20 carries a game. Uh, they want to really stick it to this Panthers side. How dare Joey Manu break Link Gutherson's record? Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. It was a good game. He was he was on fire. I mean, obviously, you know, the, the, the Roosters attack, I mean, it's hard to imagine that, you know, you can have – the level of backline players that they've got missing, obviously, you know, the Brett Morris, Josh Morris, Matty Kuvalu, to a lesser extent, Joseph Joseph Suwali as well. And, you know, somehow they're still managing to, managing to score points. And, you know, I, I think what helps them is they've got reliability in the forwards. You know what you're going to get from guys like Jadwari Hargreaves, Angus Crichton, Satili Tupanua, just guys that, you know, they they can, I mean, even, even for... JWH, he can play 80 minutes if he has to. They just, they just go out there, do their work, put pressure on, on on the defense, and that allows the likes of, you know, Sam Walker, James Tedesco, Joey Manu to just do their thing and and get the points that that you need to win games. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to the game. Like, I think I think it'll be quite a close contest. I hope it's um, a close one anyway. But yeah, I, I think it'll be, you know, the Roosters have kind of hit a bit of form and they're kind of doing it a little bit quietly I feel like maybe most people have written them off given the amount of injuries they've had but they're really finding form at the right time they've got a few plays back now and they're just really kind of getting into the swing of things so we played them a few weeks ago uh, it was actually not that that short time ago actually and we beat them quite comfortably but I think it's going to be a bit of a different story this time um, and I'm very pleased to see players like especially Isaiah Yeo back as much as I dislike the man I'm, it's, it's probably a good thing for our team that Uppy's back to provide some organisation around the ruck um, but I think it'll be a really nice close game for us to see on, on Saturday. Yeah, should be a very interesting clash. And so too will, I guess, the, the, the clash being built game of the round uh, for round 21, Manly up against Melbourne. And look, we, we know what Manly can do. We've seen what they can do. You know, the their own left edge with Tom Trebojevic, Josh Schuster, uh, you know, Ruben Garrick, Brad Parker, who, you know, is just, Mr. Reliable out there on that left-hand side. We've seen what they can do, but this is going to be a very different proposition against the Storm side who, 
you know, I mean, I guess I'm not only setting records in attack, but certainly defensively, they're proving that they are just as good when it comes to saving tries as they are as they are to scoring tries. Yeah, I think this is going to be a whole new ball game for Manly um, this this week, and I think, you know, in particular, I don't think they were fantastic on the weekend. You know, just the difference that 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 happens to that team when Tom Turbo goes off is just like nothing I've ever seen. Um, and you know, I think that there is a way to to contain Tommy Turbo. We played him early in the year, um, and they had Tommy Turbo in that team, and we managed to control him pretty well. And I, I do feel like Melbourne will, will do the same thing. And if you minimise his impact on the game, all the players around him just are no, nowhere near as good as they are when Tommy T is firing. So I actually think that Melbourne might win this one quite comfortably. Um, I, I, I hope that it's a close game, but I just do feel like Melbourne are going to be way too strong. I feel like they barely got out of first gear against Penrith on on Sunday. Um, and I expect, you know, I don't think Craig Bellamy was overly pleased with that game, um, given the fact they didn't score as many points as they may have, they may, may well have, you know, should have. And um, we managed to get a few tries in at the end. So I do think they'll come out firing. And I think Craig Bellamy will have his boys primed to make it a pretty comfortable win against Manly. Yeah, this is the final frontier for this Manly side, really, after uh, the amazing run that they've put on over the last 10 weeks with Tom Travojevic back in the side. I tend to agree just because this Storm side is coming into some real form into the this final series, obviously, they're almost back to full strength now. They've still got Ryan Pappenhausen getting some match fitness off the bench, but we saw the impact that Harry Grant had uh, on the weekend against Penrith. Obviously, scored that try there in the second half, uh, just ducking out a dummy half close to the line. Uh, they've got a really strong forward pack this week. For mine, I think that Manly are really going to have to bring something new that this Storm side haven't seen. Tom Travojevic can provide that through the whip that he gives their attack. Obviously, they've been scoring plenty of tries through Jason Saab and Ruben Garrick, and most of Melbourne's tries that they have conceded this season have come out wide. They don't give a lot through the middle of the field. So we're definitely not going to see some of the weak defence that we saw from Cronulla uh, against Tom Trebojevic last weekend. It does have a little bit of a feel of a game from a couple of seasons ago, that game down at Amy Park, or sorry, where Manly went down, and I think they won 12-10, 11-10. It was the game where uh, we saw Curtis Scott and Dylan Walker go at it. And <laughs> I really think that and we could have something to upset this Melbourne side, but they're really going to have to be at their best. I don't think we're consistently moving forward. If we played this game a thousand times, I think we see that Melbourne win most of them quite comfortably. But I think that on their occasion, if they play their best, Manly could come in and upset this Melbourne side. Yeah, look, they're definitely capable. I mean, Manly, as 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 we've said, they know how to score points, and it's certainly, you know, they're they're not afraid to show to utilize their attacking weapons. But I think like you said, Nat, obviously after Tom Travojevic went off with, you know, fifteen minutes to go or whatever it was, and even the games that they were they were without him to start the year and, and whatnot, it's it's a very different side. And I think even with him there, if if you if you're able to I guess limit the amount of meters that they can make, if you're able to get on top of them and really solidify your possession you essentially negate their attack. And so, you know, Manly or Manly or in team for that matter, you go into panic mode, you try too much, you, you know, throw, you throw one too many passes, you, you know, try one too many smart plays and doesn't come off. And I think Manly are a side that probably are more used to dictating terms and having terms dictated to them. And, you know, obviously they are a side that if you can get over the top of them, you know, consistently, you're probably going to see them struggle more often than not. 
Yeah, I think the key, and I remember when we played them earlier in the year, was just to stop them of their possession because whilst they're very good in attack and, you know, Tommy can really just kind of create things out of nothing, their defence is not up to scratch. You know, we've seen too much, two straight weeks now where I think they've scored 40 points and the other team's still scored 20, which is not something that, you know, you ever see Melbourne doing and it's not something you really want to be doing going into a final series. And also, you know, being on the receiving end of Melbourne's attack on the weekend, we tried so hard for the first 10 minutes to keep them out and they just crack you. So I just, I don't foresee that Melbourne are going, Manly are going to be able to defend well enough to um, contain that Melbourne attack. And if Melbourne just keep attacking and scoring tries back to back, they're going to be starved of possession. And then Tommy kind of, his effect is negated. Yeah, this Melbourne side is just freakish. You've now got Josh Adokar setting up tries with crossfield kicks. Like, it just keeps getting better and more unbelievable. I'm still of the belief that, unfortunately, I don't think many sides can can really challenge this Melbourne squad this year. I think this is the most one-sided competition that we've seen probably in the last 15 years. And I think that even uh, when some of the, the bigger clubs start to get their name, uh, their big names back, uh, Melbourne are just going to be absolutely brimming with confidence. And we're in for a cracking end of the year because... Uh, some of these sides are really going to have to step it up if they want to challenge this storm storm outfit. Yeah, they're certainly. I'm still off the belief, and I'm obviously, I mean, not only because they got the two wins against them early in the year, but I think if if there are two sides that I guess are, are more well equipped to match Melbourne in terms of you know the overall game and getting the win, it is the Eels and the Panthers. Obviously, they both have wins over the Storm this year already, so obviously a full strength. But, yeah, certainly Melbourne are, are a juggernaut at the moment and certainly, you know, it, it, at least half a peg or one peg above the rest of the opposition. And it's up to other teams to try and, you know, get a win against them, which is not easy. And certainly a team, Tom, that, you know, it, it, not so much struggling for a win, but struggling for consistency. Unfortunately, it is your Tigers. And, uh, I mean, you're in such a good position with that in that game against the Warriors. You, you know... You looked looked pretty good in the first half. Sort of, it didn't quite work. Go you go your way in the second half. But I want to ask you that the two or three minutes to go, whatever it was, you're on the try line. You've got a chance. I think it was I think it was only the fifth tackle, not even the last tackle. You've got it. You got to play the ball. Joe Offen, Joe Offerhan Gowie makes a pretty good run. It must be said. You know, twelve to ten to twelve meters gets you about three meters out. Plays the ball. No dummy half. And Reese Walsh dives on the ball, and that's effectively the game. I mean, is that? Do you, do you think that's a mentality thing for your side that the, the, the there's just like a, I guess like a you know a mental barrier that that they can't overcome to commit such a like a schoolboy error essentially? Oh, not necessarily. I think that that was just a result of the match that they really choked a, a decent sized lead they're up 10 nil at half time obviously the loss of dane laurie early doesn't help and uh his loss is going to be immense moving forward i think that that ends any hope of the tigers mounting any sort of charge towards the finals i think while they should get a win this week up against uh, a bulldogs lineup i think without dane laurie just the attack just fell to pieces and i think that it was almost just an act of frustration towards the end and an act of panic that they really just didn't think through that final play when it really mattered and the game was on the line. Obviously, that's the second time uh, in the matter of about six weeks that the Tigers have been beaten with an opportunity. Uh, sorry, the Tigers have been beaten by the Warriors with an opportunity to score uh, a match-winning try right on the bell. And unfortunately, they couldn't convert either opportunity. If they had won both those games, then we probably find ourselves in a completely different position. Obviously, 
put uh, give us four extra points when we're right on the fringe of the top eight. Uh, I think that this week they're just going to have to really look to overcome that mental barrier, as you mentioned, and just try and put on some good attacking plays, try and find some fluidity close to the line that they weren't able to, to find once Dang Laurie left the field. And then from there, just fingers crossed, they can put up an attacking, uh, sorry, a defensive stand against uh, a team that's really struggled on attack for the large portion of the season, obviously. Uh, Moses Embai now moves into fullback role. They've got Zach Seedy on the bench after uh, his strong start to his career earlier in the season. And then uh, he got dropped after that Titans loss at Campbelltown. And obviously, Mike McGuire is looking to change things up and find a couple of new combinations moving forward. And it's been a very crucial time for the club this next four or five weeks uh, leading into the end of the season. Just fingers crossed they don't drop Michael McGuire again. I just don't see where things go. Uh, and really, it's just a case of deja vu, I think, if they drop the coach again. Yeah, I don't think they should be doing that at all. I think, you know, Madge is, I do think he's the right man for the job um, and I think they need to persist with him. Um, but, yeah, it's a huge loss having Dane Laurie out. He's been probably your best player with Adam Dewey all year um, and it's just such a shame to see that happen. Such a young player who's just really building a nice career for himself. Um, but I am happy to see Zach Seeny back because I do think that that was probably the wrong option was to drop him. I think with these young players, you know, if they're having a few poor games, you've got to try and persist with them as long as you can um, just to build their confidence and build those combinations up if they are someone you want to persist with. So I'm looking forward to seeing him get another run. As for the Bulldogs, it's just that they were so woeful. They were woeful on the weekend. There's, there's no nice way of saying it. It was an absolute bludger of a game against the Titans. So I do think this is a very winnable game for the Tigers and I, I do hope that they end up running away with it. Yeah, and I think as well, just looking at the two sides, you look at this back line of the Tigers and matched up against the Bulldogs, they have a clear advantage. Obviously, the halves, Adam Dewey and Luke Brooks up against Bailey Biondi Odo and Jake Avarillo. Uh, they've got much more experience. Uh, they're a lot more dynamic, although Bailey Biondi Odo, I'm really excited to see how he goes uh, in that 5-8. Whole fingers crossed he can keep that big performance until next week, but I think he's a real <laughs> breakout star. And then the back line, Moses Zembai and Nick Meany, not much between them there. Corey Allen against David Nofaluma. Will Hopalata against Michael Cheekham, Alan Shoup against uh, Aaron Shoup, sorry, against Tommy Tawau and uh, Kiko Manu against Ken Mamalo. You'd probably give the Tigers the advantage there. The key's going to be the battle of the forwards. Obviously, uh, Stefano Yutokamanu has really come into his own after that stint in Blues camp. I think he's had a great couple of weeks and he's really developing into a forward leader for this club moving forward in a similar mould to what we're seeing from a guy like Payne Haas at Brisbane. And I think if the outside forwards, guys like Sean Bohr and Luciano Weywell can really get the best of their opposition men, I think the Tigers should have enough in attack to trouble this Bulldogs outfit. Yeah, you definitely think so. And I guess a side that probably you think has too much attack for their opposition this week, it's the Queensland Derby, uh, Gold Coast up against the Cowboys. Titans looked pretty good last week, obviously, in that win against the against the Dogs. Probably, you know, some things to polish up. I'm still mystified that Justin Holbrook has benched David Fafita two weeks in a row. I like both for more as a player, but... Geez, if, you, if you've got data for feet, I'd just play him for 80 minutes. Um, probably, as we mentioned last week, probably didn't rove around as much as we noticed that he did last week, obviously. Again, whether that's a game plan thing, I don't know. But, you know, you only have to look at the runs that feeder does. If you can get him touching, you know, if you get his hands on the ball as often as you can, I mean, there's very few guys in this league that are going to be able to stop him one-on-one. And certainly... The Titans are building some momentum, but I think the guy that has brought some stability to this team is the is young Toby Sexton. I mean, certainly uh, probably a bit, a bit of an unknown quantity when he came in after Jamal Fogarty's injury, but 
obviously we've seen the Fogarty is back in the reserves. Sexton is still the halfback, and I think deservedly so. He's certainly shown that he has, you know, the poise and and the composure to to be a pretty good half in this league. No, I agree. I've been really impressed with him. Um, the games that he's shown so far, you know, he's given a real structure to their attack and kind of just allows the other players to play their best as well and be in the right positions and get the best ball for them to, you know, form a, a, a decent attacking side. You know, the thing the thing with the Titans, obviously, though, is you know, all year they've had decent attack. It's just their defence they need to, to work on. But I do think it's getting better slowly and slowly. Now the Cowboys, you know, after having a very good game against Melbourne, they were quite disappointing against Brisbane. And there were patches, again, like we've seen so many times from the Cowboys this year, where they looked quite good, but they just let the game get away from them. So when you've got a really potent attacking side like the Titans, you just expect the same thing to happen against the Cowboys because they just don't seem to be able to contain these really good attacking sides. So I probably expect, yeah, a Titans Titans win, especially given the fact that they're in real contention to take one of those eight spots. Yeah, it's really hard to tip the Titans week uh, week in, week out because they're just so inconsistent in their defensive effort. But I tend to agree with you now. I think that uh, they're just going to have too much in attack. They're really hitting their stride. Uh, both their outside backs and forwards are really getting in on the attacking act. Obviously, we saw on the weekend, Tino Fasumalawi grabbed a try. Jared Wallace had a try assist. Brian Kelly grabbed two tries. Brimson was looking great through the middle. They were hitting him with uh, plenty of short balls, trying to really take advantage of a, of a tiring uh Board, board line later on in the game. And I think we're going to see that again this week. The Cowboys usually come in with quite a large, immobile forward pack. And I think what we're going to see is that they're going to take the ball close to the line and try and hit guys like Brimson, David Feeder close to the line, really use their mobility. I think they'll have too much in attack for this Cowboys lineup. Yeah, you'd certainly imagine so. As you said, Nat, the Titans are also one of those sides in this log jam. And you just think they're going to have too much firepower for the Cowboys, who, again, they can make it, but you know, I guess their inconsistency may be the, the death knell for them. But I think as well, I mean, obviously, again, as you said, Nat, the, the Titans' defence has always been, I guess, their Achilles heel in, in the last three or four years. But I, I think there are definitely signs there. It's getting better. I think there was a period in the first half where the Titans had to defend about three or four sets on their own line and... I mean, I, again, I know it's the Bulldogs, their attack isn't, you know, otherworldly compared to other teams, but certainly any time that you can defend your goal line for a handful of sets, that only does you, only does the confidence the world of good as, as you move forward. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Titans kind of remind me a little bit of South in that they have some really good attacking players and their attack is never really a problem. It's just defence they need to work on. And I think sometimes teams can fall into the trap of just thinking, oh, well, they can score points, we'll just score more. And that's never going to work against the really top teams. So I think that if they try and get out of that habit, then it's going to be all the better for them moving forward. Yep, as a Tigers fan, I can confirm that theory does not work. <laughs> Been trying it for the last 10 years. Yeah. Uh, no, but the Cowboys, I think, uh, while the Titans are really hitting their stride uh, in attack, I think we're seeing the Cowboys, they're just losing a little bit of the continuity in their roster. Obviously, Val Holmes is a great addition He's someone you definitely want to add straight back into that side. But then you look at their forward pack and they've promoted, uh, Top Hayden's promoted the entire bench from last week. Uh, Tom Gilbert coming in at proc, uh, prop, sorry, Helen Wookie, Cohen Hess, all joining Ben Hampton in the starting lineup. And I really think that's going to cause some problems moving forward. We've seen the importance of defensive combinations and also attacking combinations. And I think that uh, with the, sorry, I think with the new lineup, they're just going to struggle to find those combinations straight up. It's going to take a couple of weeks. 
Yeah, certainly does. It's always hard to form a new combination. But just on the Cowboys, that's a good uh, segue into the news of the week. And obviously, uh, Murray Talangi has re-signed. I mean, I know you've spoken a bit about him in the past, Tom, in terms of you know his development and how he's come along well. Obviously, can cover centre wing. And I think it's certainly shown that he's able to not only finish tries well, but he's able to produce what you want from a, a centre winger to really get your team on the front foot. And certainly it's a, it's a nice re-signing for the Cowboys moving forward. Yeah, he certainly is. He scored 10 tries so far this season, set one up as well. And I think that uh, there was a little bit of interest sniffing around from a couple of the Sydney clubs. So a really great signing for the Cowboys to lock him up. And I think that he's definitely someone that you can plug into that back line moving forward. And just speaking about the continuity, it's not just continuity week to week, it's continuity from season to season. And I think that you can pretty much plug him in for the next three or four years and say, this is a man that we want to invest our time in moving forward. And I think that he's going to really repay them with that faith. I think it's a really positive thing for the Cowboys as well, because obviously they made a few, you know, let a few players go that um, widely was criticised for that, you know, Ponger and Kakao and Brennan Smith as well. So I think for them to start re-signing some of these players and kind of building their own team again is really good for their confidence moving forward um, and for the playing group. So it's really good. It's a really good signing from them. And they've made a few so far this year. Yeah, they certainly have an aside who probably haven't made the best of decisions in the past when it comes to signing players is the Brisbane Broncos. And as an outsider looking in, certainly based on the way he's been playing the last few weeks, and even even in the past, I thought he hasn't looked too bad either. Tessie knew he's been apparently been told by the Broncos that he's free to look elsewhere. And when you look at how he's playing, it, it's just such a baffling decision. But if he was to leave what's a side that he could he could slot into. I think the Bunnies are interested. Probably, you know, a couple of other Sydney teams could have a use for him as well. But where do you think could be the best fit for, for Tessie New if he leaves? Yeah, it blows my mind, to be honest, because I thought he was the most da- one of the most dangerous players on field when we played them a few weeks ago. And, you know, it's it doesn't make sense to me. But again, we don't know what's going on at these clubs, you know, so it's hard for us to fully comment. Look, yeah, I do think South, you know, obviously anyone going down to South, they're going to be surrounded by good players and it's going to be really good for his game. But even, I guess, the Dragons, you know, obviously they um, they got rid of Dufty and um, and I can't quite remember who they've got intended to fill in that fullback position. But, you know, it wouldn't be a bad sign if they made that one. Yeah, absolutely. I think he's a much better option at fullback than Cody Ramsey. And to be honest, I think that you can put testing you into most sides. You'll find a role. Uh, obviously, you can slide him in in the centres or you can whack him in at fullback. I think that he's demonstrated his, his uh, capability at fullback. But for me, I, I really like him as a centre. I think he provides some really great mobility and agility out wide. And I think that uh, his step is absolutely lethal to, to slot in at centre. Obviously, he hasn't had much attacking opportunity given the Broncos' fortunes over the past year and a half. But look, you can lock him into most sides. And I think he's definitely going to improve their attack. Yeah, definitely. I, I think there's... well. Two sides he can probably fit into for me, but one more so than the other. I guess first, so the side I think he can fit into to a lesser extent are Souths, obviously. Dane Gagai is going back to Newcastle. So there is an open centre spot, but, you know, they've got Tane Milne. They've got certainly other guys coming through as well that they have high wraps on. But I think, as you said, Nat, the team that could really use a guy like this uh, like like testing new is the is the dragons obviously Matt Dufty is gone next year they've got Tyrrell Sloan who I think is the guy they want to be having fullback next year and I mean it, if I was a dragons coach or working there I don't think Cody Ramsey has done enough to really cement a spot for 2022 and certainly in a team who 
probably their only star back at the moment is Zach Lomax, and he's obviously been injured for most of this year and is only just returning this week. If you can get Tessie Neal and put him in the centres along, you know, obviously in the centres alongside Zach Lomax, that's a pretty handy one-two combo and, you know, sort of certainly very different players, but both can have a pretty profound effect on, on any given game. No, I definitely think it'd be a really good fit there. Yeah, I'll throw the Roosters into the ring as well. Obviously, uh, Joey Manu leaving the club probably at the end of the year to, to take up a big money deal at the, uh, the Warriors. I think that he's testing is a, a very much a like-for-like replacement, not as big, probably not as strong, but definitely just that agility that he brings to their side. I don't think we'll see him at the Roosters, but I think it's definitely an option for him and one that would be uh, terrific for his career development to play in a, such a strong side who have been weakened so much this season uh, by injuries and retirements in their back line. Yes, yeah, certainly be very interesting to see where he does go. And I guess on the topic of Souths and them being linked to Tessie New, they've signed Anthony Milford for the 2022 season. I guess remains to be seen if he's essentially taking Benji's spot in the top 30. Uh, you know, remains to be seen. And we've spoken plenty about Milford and I guess the, the super sub 14 role that probably suits him now more than any other. And look, he had to end up somewhere. He's ended up at Souths and certainly in a side that, already has plenty of attacking weapons. If you can add someone like Milford, who has proven in the past that when he's on, he's on, why not sign him up? Yeah, it's an interesting signing. You know, as I said, when we spoke about it last week, it's definitely not someone, you know, I'd be thrilled to sign, but I understand also he has potential, especially in a sub role. I don't think, you know, a, a, um, a starting spot is really um He's up his alley at the moment. I do worry a little bit about South because I just don't think, you know, they've obviously um, Adam Reynolds will be going to Brisbane next year. And I just, by way of replacement, I just don't really think that they've got anyone there that's, I think they're going to miss him a lot more than they realise they're going to miss him. Um, and I think that, you know, if Reynolds was still at South, that might be a great thing for Milford in terms of his development as a, as a super sub player and, you know, to really let his attack shine through. But without, Without Reynolds there, I'm not really sure how it's going to work. So, you know, not a t- I'm sure he's not on a whole bunch of money. It's not a terrible signing by any means. But I think it's an interesting one, and I'm, I'm just not quite sure how South's going to pan out next year. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. Uh, I think that while I can see a lot of value for Anthony Milford at, at a number of clubs next season, South City probably wasn't one of them. And I think you'd be laughed at at the start of this year if, if you told someone that uh, moving into 2022, South's are a going to swap Adam Reynolds for Anthony Milford. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of uh, financial difference involved in it. Uh, Souths are going to get quite a, a monetary gain out of uh, letting go of Adam Reynolds. But at the same time, we spoke last week about the importance of Anthony Milford playing with a controlling, established halfback. South Sydney won't have that next season. Uh, they've got Cody Walker there, but again, instinctive, eyes up football, a great one at it uh, while he's at it. Sorry. And I just think that there was a number of other clubs that Anthony Milford could have gone to that would have had a much stronger potential for him to perform if he wanted to move into a starting role eventually. Obviously, uh, I think you're right there, Ricky. I think we might see him take Benji's role in, in that starting 30. And uh, at least there's a predefined role there for him. He'll have a really clear-cut um, opportunity. But I think, yeah, for mine, I was a little bit shocked to see him go south. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how south approached that loss of Reynolds. But obviously, that's a, a story for another day. And certainly a side who have shown that if they want to keep a player, they're going to keep a player. It's the Melbourne Storm and Ryan Pappenhausen. He's signed on until 2025 or whatever it is. It's you know it's a, a long, a longish deal, but certainly the way he, the way he's played in the last you know 24 months, he's certainly proven himself to be one of the elite fullbacks of this game. 
as as we said earlier, obviously he's coming back from that concussion. He's you know being eased back into it, but at the top of his game, he's you know very close to the top fullback in the game. And Melbourne yet again they keep that spine together. Yeah, I think it's a brilliant signing from Melbourne, and you know we would expect nothing less at this stage from Melbourne. But you know in terms of Pappenhausen, he's having a bit of a slow start to come back, but. You know, I think there's been a bit of a change at the guard when he was gone in that Nico Hines really made that team his own. And I think it's going to take a little bit of time for perhaps to readjust to the fact that he's back in the team, you know, in in such a key position. Um, And he'll be able to do that next year when Nico Hines has moved on to the Sharks. So I think it's a brilliant signing. He's a brilliant player. Pits well with the culture down there as well. And what can you say? It's just Storm doing Storm things. 100%. And obviously... Uh, Tom Fawirich was out at the start of the season but during that period we were really talking about Ryan Pappenhausen and how he'd taken over James Tedesco as the best fullback in the game and uh, his form definitely warranted that that title at the start of the season obviously he scored that, what was it, four tries in 12 minutes in one of the games and he's absolutely an electric player It's not the signing doesn't come without risk, obviously he's had his concussion issues this season and in, in the past but uh, for mine it was what had to be done now that Nico Hines is moving off to off to Cronulla, and I think that Ryan Pappenhausen is really going to be the one to, to stake his claim as the leader of this side moving forward. Yeah, he certainly will, and he's shown what he can do and how lethal he can be, you know, just, just on his own. He can create opportunities on his own, which is not something that many fullbacks can attest to, and certainly a team that will want to see a lot of productivity from their new signing is the Canary Bulldogs. They've signed Paul Vaughan for 2022. Interesting, interestingly, the Dogs are putting together a lot of, I guess, one-year deals. Matt Dufty got a one-year deal. They've re-signed some blokes for a year only. Now Paul Vaughan gets one year. It, I guess it's an interesting tactic. can work. Sometimes it doesn't work because players will go. But, I mean, they need some firepower in the forwards. But is Paul Vaughan the answer for the Dogs there? I mean, I think for the for the Bulldogs, we've seen them make a lot of really good signings for next year, but they were all backs for such a long time. They just kept signing back after back after back. And, you know, there was jokes about Trent Barrett trying to make up a team of 17 backs. And, you know, I think so the fact that they've been able to get any forward is, is a plus side for them. And I think in a situation that they're in, I'm actually very much not against the one-year deals for their situation because it's going to take a while for them to, to gel next year. It's, it's almost a brand new team compared to, you know, the new players that are coming in there. And there's going to be players that fit with that and there's going to be players that don't fit with that. And we won't really know until it all starts playing out on the field. So I think the one-year deals are definitely not a bad option for these players like Dufty and these players like Vaughan because, you know, I think the deals they're giving them are very much second-chance deals. You know, they're not really wanted elsewhere and the Bulldogs are kind of throwing them a bit of a bone. Um, So I think, you know, Vaughan definitely has potential. You know, he's played Origin before. Um, he's played internationally before. He's definitely got it in him. Um, and it's just about extracting that back out of him. And, you know, hopefully Trent Barrett's the right man for the job. But I don't think it's a bad signing purely for the fact it's just a one-year signing. If it works out, so be it. If not, you know, there's not much skin off your back. So not a bad signing from the Bulldogs. Yeah, absolutely. High reward, very low risk. I think that the key is going to be whether Paul Vaughan's head's in it off the field. Obviously, uh, his second COVID breach in over, uh, just, uh, sorry, in just over a year. So uh, he's really caused some issues at the Dragons and uh, if his head is in it and he's, he's performing on and off the field then uh, the Bulldogs can definitely get the best out of Paul Vaughan but that's going to be a big question mark leading into 2022 Yeah, I mean that's my thoughts on Paul Vaughan too, I mean I, I actually don't, as purely as a player I, I don't mind him and I think even even when he was at Canberra his time at the Dragons, he was probably close to the well, I mean, obviously Canberra had Josh, Josh Papa Lee at the time as well but I think in terms of consistency, he did his job. 
both at Canberra and at the Dragons. I guess, you know, as, as you said, the, the worry is just whether he, you know, the off-field stuff. I mean, I, I think for lack of a better term, I'm off the field. I think he can be a bit brainless. I mean, mm. I, I don't, I, I don't mean that in any bad way, but you know, I mean, to to breach COVID rules twice in the space, essentially in the space of a year or just over a year. I mean, that's, you know, doesn't uh, bode plenty of confidence. But you know, the dogs needed some forwards, and they got. They got their man, and the Raiders re-signed their man too. Obviously, the now favourite prodigal son in Elliot Whitehead, certainly a a very feisty figure when he has to be, but he's he's a measure of consistency for that team in what has been a turbulent 12 to 18 months. Yeah, I definitely think that Whitehead's always put his hand up every game, even when things aren't looking too good for them. So I think that's a really good signing for them to be looking at signing players like that and. You know, I think they need a bit of positivity and maybe this will help them, um, you know, I guess play their best on the weekend after a disappointing performance um, previously. But, yeah, I think he's always done his job there and I think it's a really good um, re-signing from Canberra. Yeah, question marks over the future of Josh Hodgson. They obviously lost John Bateman last year, so the English trio has been broken up. But uh, good to see that they've at least uh, secured the future of one of their members in Elliot Whitehead. And I think, yeah, we're going to see some very consistent performances from Whitehead moving forward as... Uh, he moves towards the twilight years of his career. Yeah, he's certainly, certainly not getting any younger, but that doesn't seem to stop him. No, certainly not. <laughs> well, that wraps things up for another episode of Take the Two. Certainly plenty of interesting action to look forward to in round 21. And as always, we'll be back here same time next week to dissect all the action.